I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Jacinda Ardern, Edmund Hillary, Peter Jackson, I don't know, uh, Lordy, your boys took one hell of a beating. You're very welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. And joining us uh, to look back on Ireland's third ever test victory over the All Blacks are, as usual, Bernard Jackman. Birch, how are you? Good, thank you. Welcome back. And Murray Kinsella. Murray, how are you? Good, you're back with a bang, Gav. How was your holiday? Really, really special, yeah. I enjoyed it. I need another holiday afterwards, I think. But I did miss the game. I managed to conspire to miss the game. We were flying home literally for the sort of 80 or 80 minutes, two hours while the game was on. So that was disastrous. As soon as I had a bar of 3G on my phone, like entering like Irish airspace, uh, I was straight on to the 42's live blog, actually. I was like, where can I be sure to find the immediate score of the game? Um, and I know people at home would be like, like how can you host a rugby podcast and not schedule your flights around a game like I should point out I was with one of the players brothers like so he was in a far worse predicament than I was I think he was a lot more nervy than me as well I wanted to ask you I haven't asked you this in a while Murray but like we know that when you're covering a game live at a stadium you like to do so in a cold emotionless state almost drone like uh, can you uh, do you have to park your kind of national allegiances in that type of a situation or can you allow yourself to get carried away a little bit by the occasion and and the Irish victory? It's funny you ask that because I was literally, I was walking the dog this morning and I was thinking about that, how last weekend was very different to usual. And, and that is one of the things, like I'm not looking for sympathy here, but I have become kind of cold and detached, as you say, and impartial almost. And you just get on with the job of reporting on Ireland's games. But it definitely did feel different. Like, you have to look up so many more times. Normally your head's buried for the last half an hour, blasting out a match report, trying to get it ready for full time. But you just had to soak this in because it was such a special occasion. And as myself and Gary Doyle uh, mentioned afterwards in our members pod, like it was incredible because we'd been away from it for so long. Um, you know, I'd forgotten what it was like being in a stadium with that much atmosphere and emotion. It's not always like that, obviously, but it was really special and really an amazing experience i feel so privileged to have been there and and that my job gives me that opportunity to do it so yeah it was it was very different gav and coming away from it the buzz going for a pint afterwards and everyone just wanted to talk about every moment there were so many of them and yeah it was just it was a wonderful wonderful evening first two ireland victories over the all blacks were were special in their own right but there did seem to be an especially special quality about this one you were there as well i know i don't know what it was maybe as murray says the fact that we hadn't experienced it nationally, collectively, or in a group of thousands of people uh, to that extent in so long. Or maybe the fact that beating the All Blacks, not that it's routine, but maybe isn't a, a complete Hail Mary job anymore. And you can actually appreciate the performance for what it was. I don't know, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, look at that. Yeah, I think we didn't we didn't drag them down to our level and, and frustrate them and just kind of hang on for a win, even though it was obviously very tight at the end. But we actually played. We went after them from the first couple of minutes and we imposed our game on them, which is, in fact, let's be honest, like it's, it's, it's probably mirrors some of what the All Blacks have been doing for for the last while. So it's a, it's a new style of rugby for, for Ireland. Um, and that's probably why it was more enjoyable because we weren't just clinging on um, and, as I said, trying to disrupt them and being messy and playing a safe type game. We, 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 we played and we were positive and, uh, and we lost opportunities because we were so positive, but 
that seems to be the way the, the team now see the future. And um, if that's how they do continue to play, it's going to be a joy to watch. It won't be um, without errors. It won't be without frustrations because when you play a higher risk, higher tempo game, there is going to be more errors. And, you know, all the people who who want offloads, how did you feel when, you know, Jack Conan throws that pass to offload to Gibson Park two metres out and, and it's, a, it's a knock on and, and the All Blacks escape. But So there's just a, a little example of, of you know where it can go wrong and, and teams can get let off the hook but when we get it right it's it's going to be phenomenal and it will mean that we'll score a lot easier um uh, and be able to score from deeper as well and uh, like ironically the area that ireland and well particularly provincial teams um are famous for is that a zone efficiency that was that was incredibly poor at the weekend now some of that's down to all blacks um, All Blacks obviously scramble defence but I think that's an area that is definitely something that we will fix and I don't think we'll ever be bored of us getting five yards out and maybe putting our foot on the ball and grinding out a try you know we have the power athletes to do it now so um, yeah I'm, I'm incredibly positive about about where it's going and, and, I, and I do think I do think it's something that we can build on and it's not a once off which is maybe I, I, I wasn't sure Chicago obviously wasn't a once off we had we obviously had a game plan that was maybe ahead of the the curve a little bit, um, uh, but I, I think that I'd be shocked if the world if world rugby changed the laws or, uh, where it becomes um, a disadvantage to to play positively. So I do think we're maybe not not ahead of the curve, but we're on the money in terms of where the game is going, and um, and we should get better at it the more we do it. So it's positive. We'll chat later on as well about the Ireland women's team and their upcoming test with Japan. Kira Griffin's farewell. We've got to give a, a mention to Razi at some point as well. He's just posted an image of himself hiding in, hiding in shrubbery, barking instructions to players. We'll get into all of that later on. But uh, to continue with this post All Blacks debrief, Murray, when you did have time to reflect on the game, and I'm sure you've watched it a few times now, if I was to ask you for like where to begin in terms of how Ireland won the game, what's the thing that stands out to you most? Is it what Bernard is saying there about actually Ireland focusing on themselves, playing their own game, and not necessarily trying to counteract what New Zealand are doing, but just trying to do what they do best? Uh, or was there something else that jutted out to you as uh, being the catalyst in this win? It was the sheer relentlessness of the Irish performance. As Bernard said, like right from the very first attacking opportunity, they skirt them up the right-hand side. Some of that fluid attacking shape we've seen. Conway goes to the 22. I know they get turned over. It was one of those entries where they didn't get any return, but it didn't stop from there. It was just a constant unsettling of the All Blacks and putting them in positions where they really struggled to make decisions defensively. Like obviously the attack was really impressive again. There was only two offloads, I think, officially in the stats, but that's not to say it wasn't ambitious and varied and creative because it was at all times. The funny thing is after the Japan match, I wrote in one of our newsletters maybe that it was All Blacks-esque from Ireland. And I actually felt a bit... Um, there was a trepidation there in writing and thinking that's a bit crazy to say, but but it's really not. It, it was in terms of the skill level of the forwards, in terms of everyone being a decision maker, as well as a, a real physicality. And that's something that allows you to to flourish in your attacking game as well. So that side of the game to, uh, stood out to me totally, how they absolutely gassed the All Blacks, made them make 231 tackles, attempt 250 of them. And in fairness to the All Blacks, they... They did deliver some incredible try line defence to to keep Ireland out, but they cracked after half time for those two tries in particular, the the Caelan Doris one, which was, you know, jarringly poor defence from them, but that's probably a product of 
all that attacking um, focus that you've brought, how you've stretched them across the pitch, how you've forced them to scramble and thrown different pictures at them that they, they weren't expecting coming. So, yeah, it was a relentless performance from the Irish attack, which we've obviously discussed relatively recently in a in a negative light and being critical of it. And I, I look back and I think, I do think we were being fair. And that was, you know, the attack was poor at that time. We couldn't see what they'd been talking about. We couldn't see the evidence of clearly what they'd been working on. Probably a lesson for me that things can take time and, and sometimes it, you know, it takes those mistakes on the pitch to to iron that out. So credit to Farrell and, and Mike Cat. They, they stuck the course with that. Even I thought the line-out strikes, something that we, again, have criticised, you know, Cat's leading that area, but they showed creativity there. They showed real um, ability to kind of penetrate the All Blacks defence, win the gain line. Um, and then when you've got this back, which, again, before the Japan game was the thing we were most excited about, wasn't it? That that unit that they put together, the varied skill sets of them, as well as the dynamism and explosive power of them. And yeah, the proof has been absolutely in the pudding. They look like they can get better as well, which is the really exciting thing. Some of those guys are still young. The the front row is a new front row. Porter's twenty five, Keller's twenty three, Darce is is twenty three. I still I, I think, and some of the other guys there are young as well and and have more ahead of them. So the relentlessness and that and that forward pack are the two big things probably that stuck out, stuck out. Birch, when you hear Johnny Sexton talking to Claire McNamara after the game and she puts it to him that it's almost a new Ireland or a new style of play and he does that kind of trademark Sexton grimace slash smile and kind of corrects or gives his uh, counterpoint that actually we've been trying this for a while, it's just coming together now. Like, do you agree with that? Because it does look markedly different, even allowing for the fact that in the past you could say, okay, they were trying things and they were failing to execute them or for whatever reason it wasn't coming off. It doesn't seem like Saturday's performance was just all of these things coming to fruition or or bearing fruit. It it feels more advanced than even what they were trying, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, it's way more advanced than what they were trying. Um, And that's that's the issue. So I think... I've been critical of it, um, and I look back at some of the games that I was basing that criticism on, and it's chalk and cheese to what we saw against Japan and and um, and against New Zealand in terms of the accuracy of it, in terms of um, the speed to get back in the game, um, having a two-sided attack, having very tight uh, connections out the back, having really good decoy lines. Uh, so like they definitely have been building it. But I mean, some of the decoy lines or some of the options from the forwards uh, previously have been really poor. You know, there was no chance of a defender biting down. So um, it has all come together quickly. Uh, and I would think, I think time has been good. Um, I look back and, and, you know, I suppose the turning point was probably England. Um, but there was no crowd there, you know, and I suppose... Uh, uh, it was hard to be to say that was a landmark win because England finished fifth in the Six Nations, right? So normally you beat England, you think right that's that's the barometer of Northern Hemisphere, we're right there. But because England had a poor Six Nations and there was seemed to be issues in in terms of their squad, it was hard to give them massive credit for that. Even though you know Johnny, I'm sure, and 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 Farrell and them would say that that you know the building blocks were, were there, but they certainly were nowhere near as evident as they have been this November. And I include Japan in that because, in fairness, what we saw against Japan, we saw against New Zealand um, again. And that's what you want. You want to be able to see the same pictures over and over again. And it doesn't mean you have to pick the same options, but um, that's how players get better. And that's how you become unpredictable for, for defences. So um, what's changed? I think basically basing the team around uh, Leinster has helped. You know, having 12 Leinster players in there who are used to playing together 
uh, who understand each other. That cohesion is is there. Not having a game plan that's a million miles away from Leinster's helps. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not saying that this that the Fire Island Cat don't deserve credit, but what they've done is smart. They've actually uh, picked players who are who are suitable to the game plan that Mike Cat wants to uh, to play, and just coincidentally, that's very similar to to how Leinster play. Um, and uh, then they also maybe a little bit lucky in terms of maybe CJ going home has opened up an opportunity to to get you know Dor- or Doris and Conan into the into the team, or certainly one of them. Uh, Porter moving across to Lucid, which isn't luck because they were involved in that decision, has you know opened up. And Kelleher now is in his what third season. He's a he's a British and Irish line traveller. Um, you know he's ready now to take on to take the place of Herring. So suddenly your whole uh, athleticism and dynamism uh, has has improved. Plus, let's be honest, Gibson Park is more suited to Connor to playing that high tempo. And again, I'm not saying that that's that I have to give credit to Cat and Farrell for. For, for picking him but uh, so a lot of things have come together at once and for sure but I think listen to go back to the start post World Cup 2019 there was two big issues uh, one was our style of, our game plan um, wasn't as effective as it had been right? so you needed someone like Mike Hat to come in and have a vision and in fairness to him he came in and said look at um, we're going to play an offloading high tempo game right? so that's the start of it Farrell's vision was camp needed to be enjoyable and we needed to create better leadership um, in terms of players, and they've worked over the last two years to, to you know, implement that or get to the level we see now. But there's been other things that Farrell deserves credit for. It mustn't have been an easy decision to take the forwards off Simon Easterby. You know, he's been working with Simon Easterby for four or five years. You know, there'd be a good relationship there. He had the he had the balls or the bravery or, or put the team first to bring Paul in. Um, he also. You know, he gave Mike Katz responsibility for skills now as well. So Mike Katz now not just the attack and backs coach, he's also doing the skills. Um, Paul is doing a breakdown. He moved that to go over from John Fogarty. Uh, so there's, you know, Gary Keegan. I mean, there's so many different things you can look at. Uh, but like, take James, uh, James Lowe's interview after the game, you know, and where he said the media were bollockses. And it was all, it was quite funny, whatever, right? But if you, if you dig a little bit deeper in that, like James Lowe is framing his performance, and that's a, a psychological technique. I mean, realistically, um, James Lowe was at fault for the for the Will Jordan try. Okay, um, he made a really good he made a really good read for the for the last tackle, and, and absolute credit to him. But he wasn't exposed because Ireland had so much possession, so much territory. He wasn't exposed as a, as a traditional left or right winger would be against the All Blacks. So we don't we still don't know we we still don't know. But that's that's irrelevant. What's really important is that James Lowe believes he has he, he has fixed that right. So I I would give him, I'd flip that completely and think that's massive credit to whoever's been working with him to frame it that it's all our fault. Um, but he, and he's actually he's actually fixed it because that's going to be important when he plays against um, Villiers or whoever he plays in the, in the, in the Six Nations, uh, Lucy Samet or, or whatever when they want to take him on the outside. Um, but I, I, so there's lots of little things that have happened and it's all come together. Uh, perfectly, and I and I do think Farrell and Cat, who've been you know criticised, and I've been questioning um, whether it was going to work. Uh, it, it it has worked, and and now now we look to be in a really good place in terms of the international side. There's a lot in that. I know Shane McCarthy, or sorry, excuse me, Shane McCarthy in the members WhatsApp group. Murray had a question about Paul O'Connell, who Bernard touched upon there. 
Um, he was mentioning that Mike Katz's influence has been talked about a lot. Uh, it's less than a year since Paul O'Connell joined the coaching ticket as a forwards coach. And how does the pod rate his impact and the pack's performance before slash after his arrival? Um, do you want to take that one? That, that's actually something I really got out of the game on second, third watch was the quality of the breakdown work in this performance like the speed of ball over the last couple of weekends has been exceptional for Ireland like some test leading breakdown speed um, and even you think of Doris's try that's a phenomenal clear out from James Ryan so that Ardy Savea can't fold around the corner and Taylor's left a little bit more isolated even the ruck before that Andrew Conway gets nice and deep and Whitelock it is is delayed on his fold and then Keller can win the collision and, and everything's easier across the board like there's so many clips like I clipped up loads of them. They're not great for sharing on Twitter, but of phenomenal clearouts um, by Furlong Porter. He had 32, I think, in a massive shift. And there's a real accuracy and attitude around that side of the game. Joe Schmidt obviously had a big influence on Paul O'Connell in that area of the of the game. So that's that's been really apparent, I think. Line-out defence is another obvious one in terms of what you're seeing on the pitch. Ireland have been... I think over the last, well, since O'Connell's come in, really aggressive and really accurate again, that area. You know, they're getting consistent steals and putting pressure on and forcing opposition to win ball where they don't exactly want to win it. And that's become a real strength and, and kind of superpower for, for this team. So the actual areas he's in charge of have, have been impressive. Obviously on their own ball, it hasn't been perfect all the time and there's definite improvements there. Young hookers are always going to have that and young line-out callers and people getting used to that uh, pressure in test rugby. That's part and parcel of it and, and will make them better in the long run but you can only speak very highly of the the work and and what we've seen in terms of on the pitch off the pitch as well i'm guessing and from what i hear he's a, a really positive influence again good habits good mindset good attitude towards things really good communicator and i was so impressed the last time he did media He's always obviously been quite fluent a speaker and, and thoughtful but it's even another level now where he's clearly got to be so concise with his players and so on point and not waste words and not overcomplicate messages so I'm sure that that side of it has, has been really impressive too and it probably suits him to be in that assistant coach role where he can have that closer bond and relationship with players and it's less um less removed I suppose so yeah it was a it was a stroke of genius really and, and credit to to, uh, to sorry to Farrell as, as Bert says and, and I suppose to David Nusafor for for stumping up and getting it done as well it's it's had a big impact and all the areas he's he's working in are, are showing clear signs of, of growth and again there's potential there for more sticking with yourself murray for a moment and we don't need to stay on this for particularly long but i know you got a couple of emails from people who were pointing out similarly to what bernard mentioned there about how this yeah it's gonna say performance was was leinster dominated or at least sorry the first hour or so was starting lineup was i mean it was quite conspicuous actually how it was uh yeah Leinster oriented performance to begin with and then Munster kind of finished it off in a, in, in a strange way and it was purely circumstantial just it happened to be the case that a, a couple of key players from each made big uh, uh, big impacts um, on both sides of the ball uh, do you see that as in any way being an issue or is it actually the opposite of an issue in the sense that if you have most of your national team playing in one side week in week out that you have that um consistency of performance and regularity and partnerships and so on that can actually breed success yeah it's funny what, what slant you taking this someone like ben darwin who's massive into the cohesion in rugby with, with gay nine analytics he would say it makes complete sense to just pick from leinster and munster that's what you want to do you want to have the most cohesive team with the most proven 
um, combinations of players who really understand each other's game and he can cite examples from all sorts of leagues in that so so in that pure performance sense 100% it, it does make total sense to to predominantly base your your side around it especially a team as good as Leinster and then Munster obviously have, have been consistently competitive as well on the flip side though it doesn't speak volumes for the pipeline from from elsewhere obviously the population thing which we've discussed around Leinster means they're gonna produce more players the the private schools as well again we've discussed it and we've probably discussed our concerns I think and our hope that the work that the RFU are attempting to do can broaden that pathway and bring in more different players who've got different experiences and different skill sets and um, add something different to the picture like Furlong is a great example of someone who came through the youths and um, he's not exactly like every other player is he he's got a little bit more of a creative streak and he's got a a sense of doing things his own way and probably questioning things and and figuring it out for himself and that's really valuable in any side that variety of personalities as well as skill sets is is a crucial part of it so absolutely I think when you're looking at it from a, a broader structural and union point of view um there is probably a desire to improve that in the other provinces and have more representation. But right now, with the pure performance hat on, as Birch says, it has played a role in Ireland looking so cohesive and having really good understanding on the pitch. Yeah, just on just on that Munster thing, it was funny. I was I wasn't up in the leather armchairs in the press box with like Murray. I, I was down <laughs> down at the grassroots, the grassroots of the public. But uh, if you might remember, <laughs> you might remember Ireland. Uh, Ireland kind of came out a little bit late, um, so the All Blacks were actually lined up for uh, for the anthems, and there was a there was just a little delay, a 30, 30 or forty five second delay, and a Munster fan a couple of rows down from me sh- uh, shouted out, "It might be a Leinster team, but I fucking love the Munster tactics, lads. Uh, make <laughs> make them wait, make them make wait like a Tom and Park." And I just thought it was brilliant, but no, seriously, in terms of like in terms of the game and the team selection. What an what a ideal situation! Um, you've got scoreboard lead. Uh, the All Blacks now have to play from deep, and you can bring on two poachers in Peter Manny and and Ty Byrne. I mean, that's if you're if you're dreaming about how the scenario uh, should should uh, hold out. You, like you don't want to be bringing Peter on to to chase the game, but by God, if if you're if you've got a lead or it's tight. He's absolutely ideal, and and likewise, likewise with Burn. So, um, it did work out well, and and look, those lads have an influence, um, even if they're not starting. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's not just Leinster in terms of ideas. It's it's an Irish team, and and Bundy, and you know, Jack Carty being in there this week, and and Balakloon, etc. They all have a a role to play to make it a little bit different, a little bit special. So, um, uh, and the other thing I wanted to say was, and like, you know. The 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 or the uh, James Lowe comment I made about framing. I mean that's just that's just an example. But like, look at the resilience we showed during the game to have that many A zone entries and not score, um, and to go in at halftime ten five. You know, weaker teams mentally would be saying we blew our chance. You know, but Ireland Ireland never panicked, and uh, uh, so there was lots of things. And look, that's not all down to Gary Keegan, but it's it's a shared credit to the management. Um, to have them in such a good place physically and mentally just one last point sorry Gav on, on the thing around where players are from like I'm never really struck by that because it's an Ireland team and I think the, the coaches should pick who they see as the best team I, I absolutely think that should be the case always but I have been actually struck by the level of feedback as you say emails and messages and people saying it to me 
and not just Twitter noise around team naming and people saying they're never going to go watch a match probably someone who's never even gone to watch a match in the first place so I think that's a really bad place to judge it it's actually real life uh, where people are, are saying it to me and and again some of the really considered and thoughtful emails around you know concerns that this team may, maybe doesn't show that there's a pathway there for other players from different avenues and, and things like that so there actually is a bit of concern around it over there around the, the kind of country and it, again I think we have discussed a lot of these issues uh, around growth of the game and, and make sure that it's it's a team that represents the whole country and, and different people from different pathways so yeah it's one to keep an eye on definitely and I know just, just to finish on this Birch like I know you just mentioned there the likes of Aki obviously play, um, plays for Connacht and adds that sprinkling of magic and you're always going to have a couple of those players but you also don't want those players to become outliers because if you're a fan of Ulster or Connacht now listening to this conversation and while we're not selecting the team I mean we've we're all pretty much saying that yeah like if you're looking for consistency of performance and partnerships and cohesion and whatever then you pretty much select from mainly Leinster probably second most from Munster and then a, a couple from the others like that doesn't make for good listening either for people from Ulster or Connacht or even Munster really if you were looking at the game at the weekend right I don't want any negativity today Gav okay. I'm not going to go down that route I, I'm just on the bandwagon uh, don't 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 get me going no rants uh, all positive perfect we'll back uh, they'll be delighted to hear that uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well to pick you up and... that's one for January that's one for a cold wet January yeah. dry January yeah we'll all be <laughs> here's a, here's one from Gordo then and I know Bernard you mentioned a moment ago that our resilience wasn't all down to Gary Keegan at the weekend and, and obviously not but he was asking about Keegan and I think uh, sports psychologists generally speaking so Gordo and the members WhatsApp group was saying uh, he's interested to hear our thoughts on the impact Gary Keegan has made behind the scenes since joining, even if it is in a part-time capacity. And he adds, I know psychological shortcomings, quote-unquote, was one of the review findings from the 2019 Rugby World Cup and Enda McNulty was moved on pretty swiftly after that. But what has Keegan brought to the table? What is a sports psychologist's importance to a professional setup like this? And in what way do you think this can help us finally bridge that Rugby World Cup quarterfinal hurdle? Um, he mentions as well he doesn't follow boxing so he doesn't know much of Keegan's background and maybe I can come in on that but I'll leave it to yourselves firstly to speak about the importance of a sports psychologist lads in that type of a setup and maybe Bernard you've had you've heard of Keegan's impact in the background yeah I think so I think he, he doesn't just work with players or doesn't get up in front of the room and give a lecture and and, and explain the the key bullet points to to performance I think it's subtly uh, drip fed um, and sometimes it's drip fed through the coaches sometimes it's just um, you know working with the coaches in terms of their message uh, for a week and um, I think it's been a positive uh, been a positive so also like I think Sexton as a leader as well has has found uh, his authentic self without using bullshit words but like he's so comfortable now being a leader and it's all about we not me you know even his 100 cap Straight away talking about you know players who've retired that didn't you know Rob Carney and Fergus McFadden who retired didn't get a send off King Healy is still there so and even after after the weekend he wasn't afraid to say look at this isn't this isn't uh, the end for us we're, we're it's a start so all those messages you know that are being I'm sure spoken about in Abbottstown um, are coming true and then as I said I think there's the biggest focus was post 2019. Um, was creating this psychological safety. So basically, my opinion is valued. I can be myself, 
um in 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 the squad and that's that's massive that's massive that's the the foundation stone now for for high performance and from that you get it's easier to hold people to account you get better buy-in etc so um as i said people think sports psychology is you know you get like a, the amount of teams who who are here have a relegation uh, playoff or a cup final uh, in GA and soccer and rugby, and they want someone to come in and talk about sports psychology. That's uh, that's not really how it works, you know. It may you may get a short hit, but it's something that's just drift fed uh, and has to be consistent, and, and that gets everybody understanding, you know, why they're there and feeling more part of it. And there's another guy, Owen Eastwood. Um, he wrote a book called Belonging. He's worked with the All Blacks before. Uh, he actually worked with Harlequins. Um, and the tail end of last season, he's somebody else. I'm not even sure if he's a, if he's a total sports psychologist, but what he, sorry, if that's his background, but he he works in that space in terms of bringing a group together, um, and making sure the mindset, the identity, the attachment, the culture is is very strong. So there's some brilliant people out there, um, and I think you know Gary Keegan, if he was Irish, if he if if he wasn't Irish, he'd be you know working with some of the the best teams in the world. That's how good. I hear he is, but you you might know more than that. Yeah, Gav, I'd love to, I'd love to hear a bit about his background, boxing, what he what he how he did it, what he did. Yeah, like uh, I suppose I don't know if his um if you'd even describe him as a sports psychologist. Strictly speaking, he's probably more of a performance coach, and I know there are elements of both jobs that overlap. The first thing I'd say about Keegan is that he's an absolute grafter. You know, he's not just some kind of guru who sits in a, a leather chair and, and dishes out wisdom or sits guys down for a quiet chat. Like, he is an unbelievably hard worker and an unbelievably diligent fellow. I mean, he's successful in business outside of sport uh, anyway. But even when he transformed Irish boxing, like, Irish boxing or the IABA didn't have a pot to piss in. He was tasked with hiring one head coach. And on the same day, Billy Walsh and Zorantia both interviewed for one role at the national stadium out the back of it and he could only hire one he went with billy billy is an irish boxing legend had been to the olympics and, and that's probably what edged him also zor couldn't speak english he had a, a translator with him but like keegan went to sport ireland and basically pleaded with them or demanded uh, extra funding so that he could create a new role so that you could have billy working in tandem with zor because he was so impressed by zor and you look at that partnership the three of them but particularly i suppose billy and zor on the ground like it's yielded half of our boxing medals ever i think nine olympic medals out of 18 in total in the space of less than 20 years and we've been going competing at the olympics for over 100 years so he um but then how did he actually go about that like by the way any members listening he did a brilliant podcast with shane keegan how to win at dominoes which is one of our members offerings members dot the 42.e if you're not a member and you want to sign up there it's the very first episode of how to win at dominoes with shane but uh, like kind of similar to what Bernard says it wasn't a case of just like sitting down and telling people oh we can be just as good as anybody else like there would have been learnings from better setups around the world and the way Ireland integrated themselves into kind of elite world-class competition was firstly changing their entire reputation because they were known as kind of messers and you wouldn't bring them over to a training camp on account of the fact that they weren't especially professional um so firstly he sort of smoothed that over they went to places like germany to begin with in europe and enhanced their reputation that way and eventually that got them in the door plus with czar's uh, connections in eastern europe uh, to russia and bigger nations and like it was a slow build 
Um, and it wasn't just a case of like sitting down and telling lands they can be as good as anybody else. Like it was about actually putting the infrastructure in place uh, in order to enhance that. And and one last thing I'd say about it, which very much is pertinent, I think, to this rugby team and rugby generally speaking. Like I was speaking with Billy Walsh recently for a piece on the forty two, and he said the biggest challenge he found when he went over to America was instilling a sense of team in the American setup. The way American boxing worked and the way Irish boxing worked before Gary Keegan's input was that lads would just show up. And in fairness, there would have been a team ethic among the Irish guys, but they really, really drilled that home uh, to the point that like one boxer's individual performance actually adds to a, a, a collective sense of achievement at tournaments and so on. And in America, it was purely individualistic. And Walsh, having learned from Keegan, had to impart that on this group of Americans. We've got to be a team. When you're weighing in in the morning, that's for the team. When you're training on a Wednesday night or, or uh, at six o'clock in the morning, that's for the team. And uh, so, yeah, that sense of collectivism and, and that sense of, I guess, camaraderie, um, which, which very much applies to rugby. Uh, mm. Hopefully that's the longest I'll ever speak for uninterrupted on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's it's absolutely, it's absolutely fascinating insight. And like the togetherness of this group has never been in any doubt. Um, and that's one thing I'd say, like Farrell, again, credit to him for getting someone like Gary Keegan's expertise involved. Um, but he's obviously really good at uniting people and, and creating camaraderie as well. Like the players throughout this have just loved him. Like they... They love the guy. And even when they weren't playing well, there was no doubt, as far as I could tell, in anyone's mind that they wanted this to be a success because they want Andy Farrell to, to do well. And he's reaping rewards of that. Um, and even from individual players, like Lowe is a really good example of what you're talking about, Gav. Like he put his hand up and said, some of the way I was preparing probably wasn't of the sufficient standard. And that was his personality probably. And in the past you know you don't want to change someone but he probably had to realize that okay i ne actually need to go away and do these things that are going to help the team because i'll be on top of that preparation all week and, and therefore i'll be in a better position to to excel so yeah you're seeing that side of it off the pitch which is really important as bernard mentioned there's there's some great people working in this sphere but that side of it is is key as well murray looking at some of the individual performances then we probably can't go through all 23 of them uh they were all exceptional i know it's a cliche oh you could just pick a name out of a hat and they could be player of the match or whatever it really was true i think uh over the course of that 80 minutes but i don't know where do you want to start like how do you look at some of those individual performances um and how do you kind of apply that then to how we're shaping up for the future uh i don't necessarily want to discuss world cups in any great detail at the moment similar to birch let's just enjoy the moment uh <laughs> live for the day but i guess with a glance to the future like how do you think things are looking yeah you do always have to have an eye forward because it's, <laughs> fresh things are just around the corner six nations i think is going to be absolutely fascinating this year because five of the nations will feel they're in a good spot and, and ireland are in a good spot in terms of they found their best front row we knew that this had massive potential clearly it does dan sheehan's now in that mix as well a really explosive player um and i think it'll be interesting to see how those backup slots pan out it's great to have keen healy's experience at loose head finley bealham i thought has done well coming off the bench as well but he will have competition for for that slot the second row is an interesting one because we're not quite 100 percent sure who his preferred pairing is now at the moment james ryan is obviously being groomed as the the next captain and that's been really interesting i thought his performance last weekend was just excellent in terms of all the abrasive tone setting moments that he provided um so that, that's a real luxury there in terms of burn henderson 
um Baird as well is another guy of massive potential the back row I think you've seen Conan and Doris really step into that gap that that standard left in, in terms of grabbing a hole and and dominating games like Conan it's funny like three big test matches ago he wasn't a first choice player for Ireland so he's still I suppose selling into that role and there's development to go there Doris has been a phenomenon in the last fortnight and is starting to fill fill that potential that I think everyone who saw him even play when he was in Blackrock even before that back in Mayo uh, saw that potential from really early on in, in Balnan and he's just really strode forward he was very unlucky with the the head injuries I think he would have been a line otherwise but we're seeing exactly how how big a player he is now so the two of them look like they're gonna nail down those slots and and Josh van der Fleer has kind of got under the radar because of their performances but he has been so important and and it's fascinating to have different options there with O'Mahony's skill set Dan Levy probably to still come back in the mix so I think the, the pack is selling into a really impressive unit that will that will continue to to get better Jamison Gibson Park I agree with Birch has really grabbed a hold of that nine jersey now and fits into how they're how they're attacking so well as well as defending strongly and kicking really consistently as well now like the things again that aren't as glamorous but are really key to uh to how teams play so that's in fascinating Johnny Sexton still number one but it kind of works out well I think Carberry probably would have got the, the the start this weekend anyway but without the injury but that's um a really good opportunity for him to, to kick on again he spoke about it this week the, the confidence lift he gets from coming off the bench and really contributing to that win and now he gets a chance to to steer the ship so all those kind of key positions are looking really well and, and I, i've been fascinated watching the back three i don't think everyone would have predicted conway and Lowe being the first choice wings but now there's not really doubt about it keenan obviously is one of the first names onto the the team sheet but conway and Lowe have done superbly i still think there's scope to look at others though and, and balakoon is a guy i think has major test potential as, we, as we've discussed before so yeah there's there's options there for farrell now and there's competition for places and we've just spoken about all the other factors but i think it's worth giving the players some credit for for how things have gone like we came into this window wondering are these guys match sharp are they hard enough for big test matches but they've all got themselves into good places and and mentally in, in in the right space as well so that's a that's a credit to them while all of them have reminded us let's not get carried away i know he said you don't talk about world cups they do they want to focus on that and they recognize that they've won two november tests and they don't have a trophy for that they haven't fulfilled ambitions they have and that was been that has been one of the really impressive messages i think straight away afterwards i thought in the press conference afterwards they might be a little bit more jubilant a little bit more we told you so you you idiots didn't listen to us and and this is what we can do it wasn't like that at all and i was actually impressed by the measured tone of of everything they said so hopefully that's a sign that this isn't going to be a peak and and things will kick on it is an important point birch because we idiots when ireland have been underperforming in the last 18 months two years more uh say even isolating the Farrell era we'd be the first to point towards what we would perceive to be poor coaching or coaches getting things wrong but I think usually we'd then qualify that by saying but actually the players have to take a bit of responsibility here you can't coach a guy to catch a simple pass or at least you shouldn't be coaching a guy to catch a simple pass at this stage of his career and passes are being fired out into touch whatever so there's a sense of individual responsibility to it as well and just to highlight that or, or to focus on that that sense of responsibility was uh, was more than met. I mean, actually, individually, these guys are performing out of their skins now, so it's only fair to actually pay them their dues for, in some cases, maybe playing even above themselves, you know, or at least playing to, to par. 
Yeah, it's uh, no. I think that's that's the that's the beauty. That's what coaches need to try and do is to get them to play above themselves and um and also like I I would have these arguments with players um you know when I'm when I'm chatting to them socially or 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 whatever about criticism. Like the reality is we can only judge on what we see um over the eighty minutes and and it's all well and good them telling us camp is is great um and it's coming but like we don't see that you know what I mean so uh, and. Players have often told, uh, often said, and coaches have often said, it's coming, it's coming, coming, and it never comes as well. So um, it's not, you know, we, we, we have to be analytical in terms of what we see. So I don't think the criticism has been, has been harsh, uh, and I'm delighted to uh, to be proved wrong as well, where um, where I was wrong. Uh, and I'm delighted to say that I think now we're in, <laughs> in a really good place, and I hope I'm not wrong on that. Um, in terms of performances from Irish players, I think Keenan... Keenan's become like I, I totally agree with Murray, and Murray's uh, Murray's covered you know the areas that I was going to cover, but um, I think if you look at two guys who, uh, you know, Gary's been around a long time, Gary Ringrose, but wow, he was absolutely exceptional. Um, and then the other the other one who has been around now, what uh, is into is into double figures in terms of caps. He's he's the first guy you know on a team sheet a fullback uh, without any question, but he looks so comfortable now um, at at this level. And again, you know, he's stepped up because his first caps were in empty stadiums and um, he looked really assured and now he's gone into into full stadiums and world class oppositions and and again being being exceptional. So I think Hugo Keane and Gary Ringer also coming out of these two games uh with a lot of credit. And you know, I picked up something uh, look it's not rocket science, whatever, but just in terms of their front row. So uh, the, the two areas I think were very very dominant now and, and look really balanced is obviously front row and back row and um, I mean uh, Dalton Papadi made either 26 27 tackles depending on whose stats you believe like he was he was he was effective he had a big game um, Artie Sevilla is, is top end and Blackadder has deserved his chance and yet our back row completely outplayed the, the All Blacks back row and I, I don't know if I've ever seen an Ireland uh, All Black game where that's happened to be honest uh, so um, that's that's phenomenal uh, testament to uh, Josh, um, Jack and and Kalen. and then I mean how we targeted our front row. So imagine having a scrummage against Porter and Furlong, and then you're into the defensive line. You're getting a breeder, and next thing, whatever back has the ball just <laughs> takes you on. And you know we, we got uh, three line breaks from James Lowe, half breaks from James Lowe running at uh, Moody and uh, Luala. Uh, from Keenan doing it, from Gary Ringrose doing it, and that's not, you know, uh, there was also another opp- opportunity where Sexton just dropped it off to Ronan Kelleher when they were together, and uh, you know Keller gets that f- extra two yards through contract that we, contact that we got him, got him, got a gain line in the next phase. So there was little subtleties there where they obviously went in and wanted to target them and, and uh, bought a set piece and around the field and it worked, you know, it worked. They were absolutely out in their feet and Cody Taylor, he had ten minutes in the bin. Um, and yet, you know, with two minutes to go in the first half, he was his body language was, was horrendous. I mean, the All Blacks, the All Blacks, they'd be big on that. Uh, but again, that's that's not by chance. Ireland brought them to a place where they they weren't comfortable, and uh, yeah, and and it wasn't you know it was the players on the field who did that through their effort, through their effort, you know, which is phenomenal. Ring Rose is a really interesting one, isn't he, Birch? Because like even earlier this year, the way they were trying to play, I, I can remember a number of instances where you thought maybe he's actually not comfortable in this. Like maybe he actually doesn't have the scope to be that decision maker, heads up rugby. And there's 
been instances of that before in his career. Even the Leinster of Saracens that final, you remember that time he didn't pass. But like Nasser again, he looks so comfortable making those decisions, and you think like I was wrong to even doubt him in, in that regard clearly the coaches could see that potential and now he's grabbed a hold of it and again he deserves responsibility for doing that as you say he gets his head up and it, it sounds simple but when you're down on pitch level and there's bodies all over the place it's actually quite hard to, to pick out and scan that that well and, and pick out that space but now he is a scanning a lot more even if you watch the game back his head is up and he's he's just registering things a lot more now and, and that again takes time to work on those skills but he's clearly pushed himself in that regard Keenan's another good example a guy who looked when he first came in you think oh he's just nuts and bolts player but now he's got his head up all the time he's stepping up at first receiver he's offloading he's passing really well and, and adding strings to his his bow so I think that development from the players is really encouraging and again like one of the best things that Andy Farrell said afterwards is like yeah northern hemisphere teams and ourselves have always rolled up our sleeves and got stuck in and that's been the identity but there's more to it and obviously everyone's drawn the parallels with steve and kenny but it is class to hear an ireland coach saying that because i think we've all had those doubts in the past and the way ireland played and uh, the players are a bit limited uh, but clearly they enjoy being told you can do more and now we're seeing them actually combine those work rate things that are massive and the physicality of those forwards is key but all of them are, are comfortable on the ball too from the past obviously not get carried away with the victory over New Zealand so Ireland Argentina Birch obviously we're going to batter them uh, how are we going to do it <laughs> best team in the world now <laughs> well, no no I think um, this is a tricky game it's tricky to get back to the level emotionally um, and you know the crowd won't be uh, at the same level of ferocity there'll be fatigue physical and mental fatigue uh, so this is a real test and, and, and you know I think it's a really fine balance for Farrell to to get enough cohesion on the field um, to be able to win, because I think it's important to win now and not have a, um, a you know, a, a poor performance or a poor result dampen what has been a really positive November. So we have to keep playing, you know, we have to keep playing, um, and we got to get away from the dogfight that that Argentina tend to do. And look, they they actually try and play as well, but defensively they're very gritty. Uh, I would actually say they're probably harder to break down than the All Blacks, um, but some of their attack isn't. Well, their attack's definitely not as good as, as, as the All Blacks, but they can play. So it's a really tricky one. And I think this is going to be a big test for, for Joey. Um, and I think it's important for Joey that... And, and if, if Farrell went a little bit more conservative than maybe I thought he should have um, or was going to, you know, before last week, I think now it's, it's fair that... It's only fair to the guys coming in that they get some stability around them in terms of, as I said, that cohesion. Uh, and then obviously you know maybe later in the game you can you can bring more people on but I, I, I just think for Joey I think it's brilliant he got that 20 minutes and kicked those three goals but I'd love to see him behind those four pods um, who are having the same level of accuracy in terms of you know staying square um, having you know tip on or tip in options 
and being able to give that pass to him at the right time because I think that's where he's going to thrive off. So um, I'd hate to see him get a chance when the game is really unstructured. And I know people think that we're playing unstructured rugby, um, but we're we're not really. We're playing we're playing uh, structured rugby off third, fourth, fifth phase, which is giving us opportunities to um, you know to look really good and and play on the front foot. So yeah, for me, it's it's probably just a combination of of, of getting enough stability in and bodies who are fresh. To be able to go out and copy and paste and, and, and put in a similar kind of performance, particularly ball in hand. Obviously, there will be a change at halfback on, uh, on both sides, Bernard, and it's pretty obvious, I'd imagine, who's going to start. But look, that is, I guess, the creative nucleus of the team or um, the epicenter of cre- creativity, really. So, like, as much as we want to see a copy and paste job, uh, it is going to be difficult, particularly when Carberry, who is going to be starting at out half, uh, hasn't been pulling up any trees for Munster. So, like, how do you anticipate that actually going for Ireland? Like, as in, yeah, look, I think it'll be Connor. I, I think it'll be Connor and 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 Joey. And I think the, it, it Connor deserves a chance to show what he can do. You know, he has been, he hasn't played a huge amount of minutes for for Munster. Um, so it's hard to say is he in form or not really. And Munster haven't been producing, you know, quality ball. Um, so anyone who plays for Munster at nine is is probably being harshly judged. Our ten has been harshly judged, I think. So I'd love to see Connor get a get a start. Um, and 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 see where he's at. And then obviously I'd like to have Casey Casey on the bench. Um, to come on and, and then at least. At least Joey's getting a crack with you know um, two nines that he's he's familiar with, and, and I think that's fair. It's, fair. it's only fair to Connor. I mean, I'm not writing off Connor at all. Um, but now that the uh, um, I just say it, the the way's been shown about how we need our nine to play, uh, and and even though Connor might be able to do it quite as well as Gibson Park, he has other strings to his bow. But he certainly needs to to be able to get it in and get it away quickly, or else the whole thing will start to get narrower. And um, what we've seen over the last two weeks will become less less evident. It's actually a bit of a challenge for Murray, uh, Murray, isn't it? In the sense that, like, he obviously plays the game a certain way. It's not that he can't play at a higher tempo or he can't get the ball away faster. But generally speaking, the way Munster play and the way Ireland traditionally have played when he's been at his best, it's been at a bit of a, a, a slower tempo. So um, if it was to go badly for him this weekend... And when you consider you have people like Nathan Doak at home, don't forget, and, and Craig Casey who can move the ball fairly quickly from what we've seen. God, I don't know. Like, uh, Not to suggest that he'll be frozen out, but certainly there would be doubts in, in the coaches' minds that, that he is capable of doing it or that he really fits what they're trying to do now, which, as we've seen, has been successful in very recent weeks. Yeah, definitely a big game for him. He's in the last season of a central contract as well and, and that's up for, for debate as well and you want to show that you've still got that massive capability to be a really important player for Ireland when, when those negotiations are around um, albeit that shouldn't be on your mind as you're playing listen he's shown in the past that he can play at tempo he can pass really accurately I think his decision making around those first couple of defenders in terms of his passing and picking out guys running into hole, holes has been probably a little bit underrated in the past you look at assist stats and I know scrum halves will have a lot of them where they pop to a forward and they, they blast over but Conor Murray has had an influence in making good decisions around the rock I think of a really good example with Jacob Stockdale wasn't it last year where he, he throws an extra long pass out the, the front to the forward pod and, and they break down the left hand side could have been Wales match actually so I'm probably confusing myself there but and he's sniped in the past he's obviously not as quick off the off the ground as Gibson Park is he's a taller player he's not as quick in terms of actual pace either as well but it is up to him to show that he can fit in and, and provide those skills as well as the kicking as well as the really strong defence as well as the, the composure and, and those things that he brings so yeah you're right there, there's pressure there now and this is exactly the scenario 
scenario you wanted. It's not that long ago, really, that we're talking about this guy is miles ahead in his position as well and there's no real competition now there's competition for the, the spots in the squad like you know uh, Gibson Park goes down with a thigh injury and, and I, there was a few guys vying for that slot and you could debate um, till the cows come home who should be in there but um, yeah it's, it's a good position to be in and that's exactly what Farrell has been trying to create positions or sorry competition where no one's really comfortable uh, in, the, in their in their spots so yeah I, I actually think we'll see a strong enough team this weekend and even with the pack I actually think that would be the right call because Andrew Porter's only started two games at loose head. Ronan Keller's only started, what, six tests. Uh, you think of Doris, he's got 10 caps. Um, even Jack Conan, like he's started fewer than 20 tests and obviously that's a, a, a better number than other guys. But like time in the saddle is really important as well as respecting the opposition. And Argentina, I know, have had a bad year, but like Pablo Matero was on like sensational last weekend when he gets going when Marcus Kramer gets going when some of those forwards and their maul is is powerful they can be an effective team as well they're obviously playing high quality competition in the the rugby championship so it is tougher so I think Farrell will be really keen just to keep this momentum all the way through have a clean sweep with another impressive performance that builds on what they've seen but at the same time as birth sheds there's there's scope there for guys to come in and, and take their opportunity Casey to be involved maybe Ryan Baird Balakoon you can do a little bit of that um, while maintaining your momentum Bert while hoping that Ireland get the job done this weekend looking f- a little bit further into the future but not too far say only towards uh, next year's Six Nations. How do Farrell, Cat, O'Connell and co drive this on now uh, to the point that we see consistent progression? Like where do Ireland need to improve based on what you saw over the weekend? And I guess moving in line with the way the sport is going, how do they become a more complete team for the spring when you presume England are going to be back to near their best and obviously France are going to be formidable. The Welsh never go away. You, You know the story. Yeah, look, I think um, it's very obvious now what shape we're playing, um, and that will present that will present challenges. Um, and like for example, the All Blacks didn't try anything different at us from their set piece D. Like we knew it, it played out exactly as we scouted it was going to play out. Um, so we really get to the edge once we ran decent decoy lines. And um, you know, I would say if you play the All Blacks, well, we played the All Blacks in June. They would throw different things at us, um, for sure, and that's probably that was the advantage we had. Like even though you could say, you know, you could see against Japan what we did, it would have been hard for the All Blacks to really believe Ireland were going to do what they what they did, you know, and it was going to work against them because they were more physical, more line speed, etc. So, um, I think that's going to be the 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 next step is obviously is obviously being able to evolve and continue to pick the right option when the defence do things you don't expect them to do. Uh, and normally, to be honest, sometimes there'll be a there'll be a step back. There'll be actually be a breakdown, um, and we have to figure it out, you know. So, but as you as you see things and encounter things for the first time, and you learn from those and you adapt, then you become a, a more complete team. So I still think I think we probably had a little bit element of of shock, um, and you know unpredictability, and and obviously I think from an attacking point of view we are going to keep being predictable because that's how you build things. But what you need to be able to do is. Um, have little layers on and have little solutions to when the defence do things um, differently to you. So that's the that's the next step. And it'll be Wales. It'll be Wales and the Six Nations. We'll start to see um, the, st- the start of that. We'll see a little bit of it tomorrow, but obviously, you know, with Johnny out and a couple of changes, 
I think it'll realistically be, be Wales and then into obviously England, France, etc. So that's the that's the next step. I've no doubt we'll fix that A zone um efficiency. I think that'll come back uh, quite quickly. Defensively, made you know, conceded two tries against the All Blacks. Um, you know, the first one was very soft. If he lost the game based on that first try, you would be absolutely livid. You know, it was just a little bit of over eagerness from Ronan, gets in front of Tyke Furlong. And, uh, you know, the All Blacks, once they get in behind you from a set piece, you're dead. Um, the second one was obviously, uh, I, I think James James Lowe made a bad read. He, he, he got caught in no man's land. And, and once again, once they get behind you, they, they kill you. But so will France, you know, and so will England if they get back to their best. So there's a couple of areas defensively that we have to tighten up on, despite being very good defensively. But don't forget, we dominated territory possession, dominated territory possession against Japan. Um, so our, our defence wasn't tested as much as a as it will be if our set piece is poor or we don't we don't win back to contestables etc etc so um there's still lots to be tested hmm. dominated territory possession and won by nine points in the end with a last minute kick so yeah we won't get carried away murray <laughs> but uh, let's uh talk about razzy um yeah. I don't know how much we, we, we want to talk about it. It's obviously huge news, right? And the thing is, we've covered it on the show previously, uh, at least as far as the video that, well, we can say now he did release, really. At least that's what he's been charged with, or one of the things he's been charged with. Um, the sanction thing is... It's odd, like, because it's it's kind of an apples and oranges situation, right? If a player gouges somebody in the eye and you hear they get banned for six months or whatever, you're like, yeah, that's actually commensurate to the crime but on this occasion it's not like inflicting any physical harm on anybody it's sort of bringing the game into disrepute it's a little bit different um he will be suspended from all rugby activity for two months as we know and then he's going to be suspended from match day activity until september of next year which we might get into in a moment in terms of how much of a practical loss it'll be for south africa obviously he has the right to appeal this as well by the way and i I presume that south africa rugby and he will i mean i think they've stated their intention to do so uh so where do you begin with this, Murray? I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't really to, know what the question is, to yeah. be honest. He has, well, it, unless the appeal is successful, he also has to apologise to Nick Berry. Um, That'll be what hurts read, him most. Yeah, I read the 80-page document and they, you know, the independent panel say that a couple of times. He shows no no indication of apologising or showing any remorse. Um, and it'd be fascinating to have a chat with him now and say, was it worth it? I think he would say, absolutely worth it. We won the line series. I changed the the whole dynamic of the refereeing team and like I don't think it'll bother him all that much obviously he's as he said in the in the written report it mentions that he said if you ban me I'll lose out on earnings my players will be affected by it but I think this weekend they'll be they'll be rallied by it yeah they're they're going to appeal it um and maybe he'll get a little bit of that stadium ban uh, reduce but I think he'll he'll feel it's worth it I do think from World Rugby's point of view, it was also worth it. Like, as we said at the time, I don't think what he did and the way he went about it, in particular with what Nick Berry felt was a character assassination, was acceptable at all. And, like, you read the document and lots of it is kind of, again, it's funny and you're thinking, oh, this is hilarious. He tried to set up a WhatsApp group with the referees at one stage and try and add Joe Schmidt in there. Some of the stuff he said, like, you know, if it's insulting to say you had a bad refereeing performance, well then yes, I was being insulting. That kind of stuff, you're, you're tempted to kind of laugh and smile at it. But then you read Nick Berry's testimony and you think this actually 
really badly affected someone on a, on a human level it was extremely personal i personally thought it was abusive and i didn't agree with a lot of the points he made i think anyone could do that with any game and and put their slant on it um so i think it was it was really valuable that world rugby did this albeit with a bit of a, a delay again it's explained in the in the document there's so much in there but yeah i think razi would feel he was right to do it and it is interesting that Later in the document, they write about how this process is a little bit um, convoluted and how it needs to be formalized, how this actually works. And it, it is striking when you're reading it. You can kind of understand the, the frustration from the Springboks not hearing back, even though they should be more used to, to how things work. As Bernard mentioned, that side of it can be extremely frustrating for coaches. And like I'm not surprised in, in any way that this has happened. As we said at the time, this has kind of been coming, the frustration that coaches feel. Um, so there's lots in it, but I'm glad he has been sanctioned quite heavily. Um, but at the same time, I'd say he feels I was right and I, I'm glad I did it. Uh, he deserved to be punished. Uh, he deserved to be punished. It's very harsh, I think. Uh, I, I also think World Rugby, you know, either have it before the November, have, have the decision early in the November tour or have it next week, like, you know, two or three days before you play England. Um, just, if you're a South African, and I know it doesn't take much to, to get them going, but they certainly feel, if I, they, they feel with, with obviously no coach in the, in the nomination for World Coach of the Year, no player nominated, given what they've done, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons for them to feel a little bit of prejudice against them. But the reality is, you know, Razzie, once he did that, was always going to face... Um, severe punishment, uh, and he certainly has. And for sure, World Rugby want this to uh, want this to be a lesson to everybody. And and you know we we, we do need to protect the referees. I do think the World Rugby need to get their act together as well. Um and um you know make sure that there's a better process for for someone like Razzie to um or any coach to basically get some answers. Um, so I don't think they're without blame either, but. I think it's um yeah it, it's it's very harsh but probably justified and as you said yeah Razi Razi did what he had to do he's he's won a line series you know and definitely played a role in that for sure. It's a, it actually says in the document if you know he didn't apologize so there's no mitigation there so like he should have just apologized and said I was making my point like the the way he kind of threatened the referee and it was very clear that that was the case you know I'm going to send this video viral basically telling him that um and saying we're going to go down that route uh, it was very direct and that stuff doesn't make for for great reading so yeah there's loads in it but as you say gav they're they're appealing and this is just going to rumble on and it's been such a saga and it definitely in the end i think took away from a lot of people's enjoyment of what is now going to be remembered as just a horrible line series really <laughs> could, could, could i just say Murray, on it like the idea that an apology would be in any way beneficial to anybody is is nonsense. To me. <laughs> I, I find I find that yeah, almost point. offensive, uh, almost offensive reasoning. No, and look, I understand. Look, it's it's human nature. You do something wrong, you apologize, or you own up to it, or whatever. Um, but like from Nick Barry's point of view, we we highlighted this at the time. Like from Ra- I, I suppose from Razzie's perspective, he's thinking, well, my performance as a coach is constantly scrutinized in the public. These referees are protected. Uh, so why not flip the script a little bit and I'll give this masterclass on how Nick Berry was so wrong. For starters, referees aren't the ones criticising coaches, right? I mean, if you wanted to air grievances that way, you should have come after the likes of ourselves. But also, to do it for an hour and specify it or, or, or base it around one individual person, like that wouldn't even happen 
to you on the flip side as a coach like we wouldn't sit here and talk about Andy Farrell for literally an hour and talk about everything he got wrong for an hour you know he might say we would but like we we genuinely wouldn't it, it to be honest it wouldn't make for good listening anyway so it just was way too intensely personalized from my point of view and how could it not affect then Nick Burry going forward genuinely to have your performance scrutinized so publicly to the point that it's actually worldwide sporting news and you're at the center of it based on 80 minutes and like I saw him uh, listen I don't want to prescribe anything to his performance in the Wales Fiji game it wasn't his finest hour but I couldn't help but wonder God like has he has he had his confidence as, a, as an official shattered by that whole experience and it wouldn't surprise me if he did like if I was in his shoes I probably would have you know so an apology piss off of that to be honest like yeah, <laughs> I, I think the sanction is fair enough and he did what he had to do listen as, as you said at the top there Murray as we begun discussing it Razi would be happy enough but um I think the sanctions are, are fair, I suppose. So the other bit is someone tried to broadcast it. Like I put up a, a joking tweet saying I would watch it, but someone obviously got onto them and said, can we broadcast this thing live? South Africa Rugby Union and Razzy Erasmus wanted it public hearing, but that wasn't the case. It would have made for, maybe it actually would have been really boring yeah. to watch. 80 pages, 80 pages is enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true that, true that. Before we go, guys, uh, obviously looking ahead to the Ireland women's game against Japan, kind of the prologue, I guess, Murray, to a new era. Uh, they were in action a couple of weekends ago against the USA, got the job done. You guys, uh, I've seen plenty of analysis of that, including in uh, your trademark gift form, particularly that Bavin Parsons Troy, which is unbelievable. Um, I guess like we have to start by mentioning Kira Griffin walking away and just, I guess, to take it at face value, she says she's had enough and she's had an unbelievable career she's put in an unbelievable amount of effort and work into her career both for Munster and for Ireland so to begin with I guess um, how would you summarize her impact on the women's game in this country yeah it's it's, it's an awful shame she's only 27 and this will be her 41st cap on Saturday and and you think god there was loads more left in in Keir Griffin because she's been a remarkably consistent performer obviously around the breakdown extremely combative uh, leading by example with work rate consistently throughout her career and, and became captain at, at what the age of 24 it's, it says a lot about her and and the respect that others had for her as well um even last weekend like the the pride she led the team with was really apparent and and it was a tough week and I thought she handled that quite well and and then you listen to her the other night after the announcement and she's talking about going away and working towards um, a few more qualifications in agriculture spending time with her husband I, I think they only recently got married and seeing more of her family and not saying no to every occasion and that was the bit where she got emotional when you know she was asked what like what do you sacrifice to be a amateur player and she said yeah it's the family it's not being there for events and and all rugby players even all amateur rugby players will, will know the reality of that so you got to respect that but at the same time it's a pity it's not a more attractive uh i suppose um landscape for her to to maintain being a part of that ireland team and be part of the rebuild at the age of 27 that's a shame it, clearly she's had enough of that so yeah, it's, it's the end of an era for them, a disappointing era, absolutely, with the 2017 World Cup and now the failure to get into the World Cup. There's, um, you know, the, you know, you hear about Lindsay Peach hanging up her boots as well and that's not announced, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But it is going to be a, a process of finding players who can be consistently good performers like Kira Griffin. She was the one, one of those like kind of people that never wavered and never underperformed for Ireland. So definitely would be badly missed as they go about this rebuild. Bert, you'll have been in dressing rooms as well where 
there is a vacuum left by a natural born leader and a kind of a dominant personality departing so i guess if if she was going to do it or if you are going to lose a captain maybe now was a good time at the start of this new journey uh not to put too fine a point on it but um how does a dressing room actually cope with that like you know is it a kind of an organic process where more people fill in and, and maybe find themselves a little bit in that role or or does it have to be almost prescriptive like coaches sitting down discussing it how does that whole process play out yeah, I think it'll obviously with a new coach coming in, it'll depend on how Greg um sees developing leader leaders or is there an automatic candidate who just has the 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 credibility of, um and the belief of the group or is it going to be a shared shared kind of leadership model um with four or five uh, different players who who are kind of that that middle branch between the players and and the coaches and and, and there's a lot of feedback and um a lot of a lot of chat about what they're going to do so yeah i don't know but i just think for kira's point of view it's 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 difficult to be a captain but to be a captain of a of a team who are who are struggling for form or maybe getting negative results that's you know that's draining and and i think um i suppose i i would maybe feel some sympathy for her that uh, she maybe hasn't got the rewards in our jersey that her efforts and her commitment deserve, but she'll still look back, you know, uh, very proudly on on what she has achieved and how she's um, how she's portrayed herself and how she's looked after her teammates, which is, I suppose, you know, all you can, all you can have in in an, in an amateur sport. Um, but she's someone who's widely admired across the men's and women's game. I think I said they played at USA a couple of weekends ago, uh, a moment ago. My sense of time is absolutely shagged by that holiday, I have to say. But certainly this weekend, they're back in, back in action again. So what are you looking for against Japan, Murray? I mean, uh, you've got Griffin signing off. You've got Adam Griggs signing off. It does feel like, as much as we've been describing these two games, as maybe the start of something or... or the little precursor to something. This is kind of the end of an era now as well. Uh, and as you say for Lindsay Pete, um, although we reckon what USA was possibly her last outing, was it? So, uh, yeah, what are you looking for from just this 80 minutes? Hopefully more of the, the younger players shining. Obviously, you mentioned Parsons there continues to score amazing solo tries. I thought Mavo Goleary had a really good debut off the bench. First act was to kind of hold up a, a mall break and, and the USA nearly scored and had another turnover later in the game and, and that's great to see other players come through we don't have a team named as we speak but I really do hope it's a little bit more forward looking while respecting those people obviously who who deserve to say farewell to, to supporters also hope to see a, a bit of a bigger crowd and the crowd that were there were phenomenal the, the volume they made was incredible but I just thought after the week that was and everyone voicing their opinion on, on women's rugby it was hope that you might see a few more than what do they have 2500 2600 maybe in the end i, I thought they might get a, a couple more in the, the door so hopefully the people who have such passionate views on, on women's rugby will also go and and support it as well a bit so yeah it'll be it'll be obviously a win is the perfect way for someone like Kira griffin to to sign off and that's all she's worried about now but a little bit of uh, i suppose fodder there for someone like greg mcwilliams to go that's really exciting that player is going to fit into this spot um and a bit of that forward look as well just before we go, Birch, I suppose from Greg McWilliams' point of view, what would he be looking for performance-wise this weekend? Yeah, I think it was going to be very hard for him to uh, to get a real performance last week, given how difficult the, the week had been. So I think they deserve massive credit for, for grinding it out. But yeah, you would like to see a lot more accuracy um, in in terms of their, their, their passing game uh, and their handling, really. And hopefully that win settles them. And yeah, I think that'll... He, he's just looking to see what, what her skill set is like because he will want to play uh, uh, a kind of 
um, a much more expansive game um, uh, than than before. I've seen what he's done with with New York and and um, and Harvard and Michaels. Uh, he likes to play so. That's the big thing for him is where the skill set is now, understanding that and obviously trying to build it. So I'd say that's the main thing for him rather than the the the, the result. Obviously, obviously we hope we we'll hopefully win. Um, we should win, but it's really to get a, a bit more of a look at um what he can build on it when he takes over on I think the first of December. Magic Burner, thank you. Murray, thank you as always. Good to have you back, Av. Nice one. Great to be back. Good to see you. And thank you to everybody at home as well for listening. Thanks to the 42 members for your questions. It's members.the42.ie if you want to sign up there and listen to Murray's extra rugby podcast, Rugby Weekly Extra, with Owen Toolan and these days with guests. Uh, they're pretty special, so do get on them. And also the Gary Keegan interview we mentioned earlier is with Shane Keegan on how to win at Domino's. There's a full series of that, actually two series of that, in which Shane sits down and speaks to some of the top coaches and sporting minds uh, in Irish sport members.the42.ie and behind the lines number five our new book is on shelves and available on at the 42 shop or in the 42 shop at www.the42.shop uh, that's about it we will be back over the weekend mind yourselves take it easy <laughs>